Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. We're right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights that legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 290, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Man, you know what's interesting? I just realized this is this is our 290th podcast episode. I just had yes. the 290th episode of my radio show today. They have intersected. Right? Yeah. Wow. How about that? Yeah, that is Next something Next time else. that happens, will be like, you know, 20... 122. <laughs> I don't know that it'll happen. I mean, hopefully it doesn't because then that means I've continued in this role <laughs> and it's okay. <laughs> Since I do five radio shows a week and we only do three podcasts, you knew it was going to catch up eventually. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. But before we get going here, we got a lot to get into. We got some weird ass stories around the block. We've got Todd Archer, our ESPN Cowboys insider is going to join us, get his thoughts. Some of the latest on Cowboys injuries and whatnot here on this version of the cast. But before we get into our own conversation about the Cowboys, it's Greening Law, my friends. I have been working with Greening Law for a year and almost three months now, 15 months almost, since my car accident, and I've still got back issues. I mean, I am having back issues that we are trying to figure out what is the best way to rid this back pain that will flare up on me, and Greening Law has been phenomenal. I mean, I just got an email today from one of the people on the green team. Matt, how's it going? How's your back feeling? You know, let us know so we can think of what we need to do next. And I'm getting another injection into my back. They're going to try something different this time. And that's going to happen tomorrow. But the one thing about the green team is when they took me on as a client, they set everything up. They're the ones that go, hey, we found this place for you. We think you should try this, th this and this. And they handle all that crap behind the scenes all I have to do is go to appointments. And seriously, when we tell you to focus on healing and renewal, that's all I do. They handle all the other stuff. And that's why you guys need to pick up the phone and give them a call at 972-934-8900. If you're involved in anything remotely close to what Matt was, whether it's an accident uh, with, with another car, whether it's an accident with an 18-wheeler, whether it's an apartment complex, a business, anything like that. Just pick up the phone, give them a call, 972-934-8900, say, hey, green team, here's my situation. What do you think? If they take you on as a client, hip, hip, hooray for you, because Matt just told you how they walk you through this process. It can be pretty complicated, 
And so you want somebody riding with you. They do that because they don't get paid unless you get paid. It behooves them to work in your best interest, and they do. 972-934-8900. I would tell you right now, my friends, give them a call if you find yourself in that situation at 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. Speaking of the Dallas, Texas area, the Cowboys gearing up for Monday night football against the New York football giants. And there's some things that jump out, man. I got to say, and you pointed this out in one of the columns that you wrote for the Dallas Morning News, but just some of the news and some of the thoughts coming out of the Cowboys win over the Bengals, now that you have time to process it a little bit. Micah Parsons, we talked about it last year as a rookie. He now has four sacks in two games. He has more sacks in his first 18 games than anyone in NFL history since it became an official stat in 1982. He now has 17 sacks in his first 18 games. Unbelievable, except that it's not. I mean, it's a little unbelievable, man. The fact, you know, because it reminds me in a different sense, because football obviously is a much different game than basketball. But it reminds me of Luka, where you feel like you've got a guy that can play on a level that other teams don't have. And you are looking at Micah Parsons. I was texting my friends this the other day. I was like, man, I, it just, it feels like we've got an all-time guy. Like, we've got an all-time guy that has a chance to even be perhaps more than what DeMarcus Ware was. And DeMarcus Ware is eventually going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm talking about somebody that's, that's even above that type of level. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, man. And, you know, I, I'm not really big on hyperbole. Uh, but I was watching that game yesterday, and I was all I could really think of was Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, in man. In terms of yep. the way he was just dominating. He was basically unblockable. There's just nothing you can do with him. They put three dudes on him, and he's back there in Joe Burrow's face with three dudes on him, a running back and two linemen. And uh, the only thing I could think of, man, was really Lawrence Taylor – and how he used to dominate games. And, and literally, let's just see if we can get the ball out before he gets to us because there's nothing we can do to block him. And yeah. that, to me, is who he is right now. Yeah, and you just feel like you've, and again, second year of his career, but it's hard not to agree with you. And, and I was thinking the same thing watching it. And you look at Lawrence Taylor as a guy who, until he was 33 years old, from when he came into the league at 22 through his age 32 season, had a minimum of seven sacks a year. And then the last two years of his career, he dropped down to five and six. But, I mean, you look at this is a guy in Lawrence Taylor. He didn't get double-digit sacks until his fourth year in the league and then rolled off a stretch of seven in consecutive seasons where he had at least uh, ten and a half sacks. And in six of those seasons, he had 11 and a half sacks or more. They've got a guy like that. I mean, they have a guy that feels like a generational, like Aaron Donald, J.J. Watt level player where he's just going to roll out as a all pro for the next few years and teams are going to have to figure out how to game plan for him. And somehow the Cowboys got that guy. Dude, you're talking about that stretch where I think he was averaging like uh, 14 sacks a year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that was an average. Um, and so from 84 to 90, that's what he did. Basically 14 sacks a year. And so it feels like that, man. I mean, it just does uh, because he's so dynamic and there just ain't nothing you can do with him. Um, he's big. He's fast. He's strong. And he's got pass rush moves. And so he can get around. He uses speed until speed doesn't work. And then he uses power. 
and then he's got a couple moves that, that he throws in there in addition to those. It's um it's 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 dude, it's mind blowing that this dude is only in his second year and he's this damn good. It is, it's fascinating, and it is to a point. I mentioned this the other night, and it's true that because of Micah Parsons, I love when the Cowboy, like generally speaking, like when I play Madden, I skip the defense. Like who cares? I just play the offensive series. It's more fun. Skill position players. We always know the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, the running backs. That's where fantasy, the core of what fantasy football is all about. But there is nothing more exciting on Cowboys games than watching Micah Parsons get out there and do what he does. I mean, he, he fits one of those things where you if you had your media pass taken away from you and you were going to have to pay to watch a guy play, Micah Parsons would be, as far as NFL players go, he'd be up there very close to the top of the list. No, he'd have to be, man. He's just a dynamic player. He's fun to watch. He's one of the best players in the league. There's no doubt about it. And uh, he's the engine that's making the Cowboys defense go because everybody else is playing better because of the attention and the havoc that he wreaks on the game. The other thing that kind of sticks out to me through the first couple of games, and we have to give, and again, it's only two games, but the Cowboys, maybe they deserve a little credit because Tyler Smith looks like he's going to develop into the real deal. And I haven't noticed him much other than the fact that he is very powerful. But as far as a guy in his second NFL start being thrown out at left tackle, and he was going up against Hendrickson, who's a very good edge, and holding his own for the most part, I, I've been very impressed with what we've gotten out of Tyler Smith for the first couple of games. No, I'd, I would have to agree with that because here's the deal. You notice a left tackle when they can't handle it. When they're getting beat like a drum or they're overmatched, you notice it because the other defensive end just dominates the entire game and disrupts every single solitary thing that you're doing. Um, I'll give the Cowboys credit for this. Everybody has talked about Tyler Smith's strength. Bro, when he plays, you can see it because he will stand the dude up in a minute um, when they come around at edge. And so, you know, the future looks bright. Um, it's just a matter of uh, how quick he can get to the future. Yeah, and it's interesting because – I don't know if you know the name Duke Manyweather, but he is a guy that played in the NFL, I believe, and now he started his own offensive line scouting and development called OL Masterminds. And it's interesting because he's based in the DFW area, and he works with a lot of these offensive linemen in the NFL, and, and including working with Tyler Smith. And he put something out on Twitter the other day where he looks at Tyler Smith as a guy who can be an elite-level guard but maybe a better than average left tackle. And he thinks that if they would eventually, when this settles back out and Tyron Smith comes around or Peters is ready, that if they moved him inside, that they could have, you know, basically your next Zach Martin, except on the left side, where you could have an elite level Hall of Fame type of guard for whatever reason. I could see that, man, because he plays with such strength and such power that if he gets his hands on you, you're done. Well, what happens at the guard? What happens at guard? The space is tighter. The defensive tackles are much more in front of you than a, than a defensive end where they can stand out wide and try to run around you. And so it's easier for you to get your hands on. Think about Quentin Nelson at the, at the Colts. Why is he a road grader? Because mm -hmm. you can't get away from him at guard when you're playing defensive tackle. You're literally right there in his face. He gets his hands on you, and that, that snap is a wrap for you. Uh, so I could see what they're talking about with Tyler Smith. And um, – you know, there may come a time uh, when that happens real soon if they think that that's a good fit uh, because they took him with the 22nd pick or the 24th pick. 
you would hate to take a guard in the top five like you take a tackle. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't hurt as much to move in the guard if you think that's his best position, if you can find a tackle. Yeah, and it, it's it's really interesting. So, and, and I may be wrong on whether or not Duke Manyweather played in the NFL. I just know that he trains and works with a bunch of big-time NFL linemen and is based in the Dallas area and is well-known in that realm. You know, and it's interesting to listen to see how he breaks down offensive line play on Twitter. And it, that's what he had said. Somebody said to him, looks like he can be elite at left tackle. And Manyweather said he looks okay at left tackle. It's not his fault. I've worked with him. He can be special and elite at offensive guard. So we'll see what happens. And, and he makes the case that, you know, maybe you, you get Peters ready. And if you have Smith at guard and Peters at left tackle, that you might have more power on that left side of the line to clear some things for you to be able to run on the left side as well. So we'll see how it is. But again, on to my very untrained eye, I, see, I look at you. I'm copying what you say. That's what I'm saying. See, look at you. It and it's true. It, it's, it's true. But I can see when a guy is holding his own out there and not getting beat constantly. And it, it seems like we've gotten that from Tyler Smith. A couple of the other notes from the Cowboys right now, and I don't know how many people realize this, but because of the moves that they had to make the other day with the injuries and the practice squad call-ups because they had to call up both Rush and Greer from the practice squad to get to the active roster and some of the other pieces they were moving around, they waived their fifth-round pick out of Arkansas, the big dude in the middle up front, the defensive tackle John Ridgeway. He was claimed by Washington and is no longer a Dallas Cowboys. So the Cowboys' fifth-round pick this year is now a Washington commander. I'm, I was trying to go back and look, bro. Is that the pick that they got for Amari Cooper? I believe it is, actually, yes. <laughs> and if that's the case, <laughs> it makes it even worse. I was, I was literally trying to look that up when I saw it um, to, to see if that was the Amari Cooper pick, and I'm pretty sure it is because uh, the first fifth-round pick – yeah, it had to be that one. I'm pretty sure you're right because their other two, they had multiple picks. No, the one from Cleveland, they got Matt Walesco with. I just see that. Oh, okay. Okay, so it wasn't right. him because they right. had multiple fifth-round picks this year, and a couple of those Four were like them. compensatory, and Ridgeway was the last of those picks. I mean, right. really in the middle of the fifth and sixth round is where they got Ridgeway, who is, I mean, he's a big dude, 6'5", 325, and now he is a Washington commander. Now, you know, as much as they talked about Ridgeway and how he could eat up space and be a good run stuffer and, and really fill a void and a role for them, I was a little surprised that they, they stuck him out there like that uh, to be gotten because why? A lot of teams need that type of body and that type of player. Yeah, and, and maybe, maybe they will see him in a couple of weeks when they play Washington because he's been inactive for the Cowboys. Washington obviously claimed him for a reason, and We'll see. And then finally, the other things, and we'll get an update on the very latest from Todd Archer here later on on this episode. But it looks like the Cowboys will be without Michael Gallup again Monday night, which it sounds like he probably will at least be able to get back for game four against Washington. But he's going to be on a snap count whenever he comes back and that he's not going to play a lot. And it may take a couple of games for him to get fully back into the lineup which, again, goes back to the thing that we've been talking about, the fact that 
And it's good they didn't put him on pup because he can practice and he's been practicing and he's been trying to get back out here so you can get him back out at some point. They want him to get a full week of practice. But man, it's just one of those things where you don't do this with this guy. And even if you were going to keep him off a pup, that you didn't have the foresight with the receiver position like we've been talking about to wonder what if it takes four to six games for Michael Gallup to catch up to speed. And it sounds like that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, it was a, it was, you know, we've said very much all along that is a bunch of curious decisions they made with the wide receiver group taking one of the strongest positions in the league. No, no cap. If, if you're talking about Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, um, Michael Gallup, Cedric Wilson, Noah Brown, uh, even though Noah didn't catch very many passes last year, you'll take those first four and you'd be ready to ride against anybody. Um, you add Noah Brown and his versatility, you go, yeah, we'll take our group and, and match up with your group and we don't fear anybody. And you took that group and you turned it into CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Noah Brown, and who? <laughs> like, literally, yeah. like who? Well, Which Dennis means, Houston, it's great. Yeah, bro. Which means <laughs> if you have any sort of injury, any sort of issue, you're down to nothing, basically. I yeah. mean, it's just... It, Dog, I, I just shake my head every time I think about it because you didn't have to do it. You had the cap space to pay Amari Cooper. If you're mad at him, then you pay him. Uh, or you, you, if you're mad at him, you want to get rid of him, you just make sure that you, that you got his replacement before you do it. It's like anybody else, man. What do you tell anybody who's any of your boys who get ready to quit their job or if it's you? Hey, you got another gig lined up? No. Nah. Well, hey, fool, get a gig lined up. As soon as you get it lined up, man, I'm out. That's how you do it. You don't say, well, screw this job and these people and then go figure out what you're going to do. That don't make no sense. Yeah, that's very, very true. And yet, welcome to the Dallas Cowboys because that's what they do. (laughs) And that's what they have. Oh, we have breaking news, Jacques. I don't know how they're going to overcome this. Again, speaking of the receiver position, the Dallas Cowboys have waived Dennis Houston. You lying, man. What are they going to do now? Who are they going to get to fulfill the spot of Dennis Houston? See, this is what I'm talking about, bro. You talked this dude up all training camp. You started. He played the third most snaps at wide receiver, I believe. I know for a fact he did the first game. I haven't looked at the, uh, at the play-by-play list from the second game. You targeted him, I think, once the other day. And now you want to cut him. So he went from starting to cutting in three weeks. That's an indictment on y'all, not on him. That's an indictment on the Cowboys, man. Yeah, and, and again, when you go back to week one with as many routes and opportunities as he got, and like we talked about, like people wanted to talk about how bad Dak was, a lot of the times when they were throwing towards Dennis Houston, he was running very poor routes from people that follow this stuff and, and look at like rounding off his routes, not making – the cuts that you need to make. And that was one of the things losing Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper is one of the best route runners in the NFL. And it was funny because after week one, people were talking, oh, Cooper did because he didn't do anything for Cleveland. And I think it was Brian Baldinger that put up on Twitter showing some of the routes that Cooper was running. He's like, his time is coming. Don't worry. Sure enough, last week, nine for 101 because they're going to use the guy. But Dennis Houston, no longer a Dallas Cowboy. However, will they be able to replace him? Bro, he still played the third most snaps for wide receiver yesterday. What they're telling us, Matt, is what we just got through talking about. They ain't got nobody, dog. That's like, true. They really don't. No, literally, like they don't have nobody. Because check this out, Matt. 
Let's just use regular old common sense. If Dennis Houston played 21 snaps yesterday, 34% of the game, and he was your wide receiver with the third most snaps, what does that say about Fajoko, who played six snaps, Kevante Turpin, who played five? Turpin is especially, he's a kick returner, and if you want to use him on offense a couple plays a game, okay, yeah. cool. But what does that say about Fajoko? Like, dog, you ain't no better. You couldn't beat out this guy for snaps who's getting cut. Yeah, that's true, man. But we already knew nah. that. I mean, they've got nothing. You know, which is why, you know, they need Gallup to come back. But again, Matt, okay, now you got Gallup back. You got Noah Brown. Noah Brown looks like he's going to be a contributor all year. You got C.D. Lamb. What happened somebody get hurt, Matt? Exactly. This, is, this, yeah. this is the NFL, bro. You have to anticipate cats are getting hurt. When he get hurt, what y'all going to do? Same situation they're in now. Bro, and now they're, you know, now, see, they played a lot more two tight ends the other day with Dalton Schultz and Jake Ferguson. Uh, well, if Schultz has is, is got that PCL strain and is limited, you know, what do you, is it Hendershot and, and Jake Ferguson and two tight ends? What are y'all going to do for offense, man? Dude. You know. Well, that'll look pretty good. Can you imagine it's two rookie tight ends one of them undrafted out there for you when you drop back to pass with cd lamb and michael gallup who's only going to be if he plays against the giants it's probably only going to be like 10 snaps and you're dropping back to pass and you look out and you've got noah brown who was serviceable and had a really good game last week but you're looking out and it's cd lamb noah brown and two rookie tight ends and Simi fahoko i guess Yep, 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 yep. I don't know if you can see Turpin. He's tiny, so I don't know it, it, what you do with him unless you just let him run go routes. But there is a difference, and you cannot underestimate that enough. I mean, part of the reason why elite-level wide receivers are good is their ability to run routes correctly and be where they're supposed to be and use their body and use their routes. I mean, I remember when we talked with, oh, what was the guy's name, the Cowboys wide receiver coach, Sanjay? Sanjay Lowe. Yeah. Remember who I'm talking and, and he was talking about how we had him on. We talked to him and he talked about how explosive Amari Cooper could do and how quick he yeah. was when he made his cut. That's so difficult that he was so precise with how he could set DBs up when he made his cuts, when he ran his routes, that how hard that was to cover. That's why Amari Cooper's Amari Cooper and Dennis Houston's now an unre- a free agent again, like he was when, he, when the Cowboys signed him. Just ridiculous, bro. It's pretty, it's pretty special. It, it, it's, it's certainly not as special as Bruce Biltong, though. <laughs> if you guys haven't ordered yours yet, I would encourage you to do so. Make such a great snack. It's like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's Bruce Biltong. We are the only podcast that he works with. We're the only podcast that he has ever worked with. He continues to stay with us because you guys are supporting him, which supports us. And not just that, but you're really going to like it. It's 15% off anytime you order with the promo code JAM15. I'm telling you, man, Bruce Biltong is legit. No, it's legit because it's fantastic. It's, it's you know, I call them tender, succulent butt strips. Is that, that's, is that's that the, the new name for it? <laughs> tender, succulent butt strips. Order now at BruceBiltong.com. Yeah, man, because, you know, that's that's the area where it comes off, the very juicy part right there. But, you know, it's unlike anything you've ever tasted in terms of a jerky type thing because it don't get stuck in your teeth. 
It's got a bunch of flavor. It's juicy. It's kind of succulent, man. It ain't what you think a jerky type meat is, a dried meat is. That's why it's so good, bro. It's unlike anything you've ever put in your mouth. That's yeah, very true. That came out right, but yeah. It, it, yeah, you got to be careful with that one. But it is unlike anything you've ever had. It is very tasty. I think you're going to love it. There's a variety of different ways to get the biltong. We both like the sliced biltong, but check it out, man. Jump online. It's B-R-U-S, B-I-L-T-O-N-G, bruisebiltong.com. Also, of course, I mean, many of you are singing the praises of Freeway Tire Shop. I mean, the guy that came from Texarkana and swung by Freeway Tire Shop, I mean, that is somebody who's been looking for a mechanic to trust. I mean, if you're coming from Texarkana, hey, props to you, man. So there are no more excuses because anybody in the DFW area, you're not coming from Texarkana to go to Freeway Tire Shop. So wherever you are in DFW listening, I think you can make your way to check out Freeway Tire Shop and talk to JR and his crew because, man, they will take care of you over there. Dude, they took care of Rafael Figueroa today, too. Um, He got a new set of tires over there. And uh, here's the deal, man. I rock with JR. I take all my cars there. I tell my friends to take your cars there because you can trust the dude, man. It's just like having a doctor you trust. Um, You can trust him to diagnose the issue with your car. An underrated thing is you can trust them to use quality parts to fix your car so the same problem doesn't keep happening. Then you can trust them to charge you a fair price, bro. Everybody don't rock like that. He does. And then you can trust him to stand behind his work. I was in his office the other day when he got a phone call about somebody asking about the work he did, and he walked him through it and told him, hey, here's the deal, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's the way he is. That's why I trust him. It's five minutes north of downtown, right off of Commonwealth. Roll through. You ain't got to take my word for it. Check him out. I trust, I promise you, you won't find a better mechanic. He's, he's the best. You got that right, man. And again, it's easy. You can schedule your appointment, request a quote online right there at freewaytireshop.com. We got to take this trip around the block because I got some things I want to throw out for you. And oh. first, look, let's just start with the story that we both saw and the one that you sent me. And it's one of those stories where you see it. And you were almost glad that it's happening because this is how we're going to weed out the dumbasses of, of Earth. <laughs> and this is a story in the New York Post that the FDA is warning against the potentially <laughs> deadly NyQuil chicken challenge. What is wrong with people, man? In which apparently some people are coating their chicken in NyQuil and eating it, covering their meat with, with NyQuil which obviously is used to treat like flu symptoms and whatnot. And, and shockingly, if it's ingested, boiling a medication can make it much more concentrated and change its properties in other ways, they say, which could cause it to hurt your lungs. Put simply, someone could take a dangerously high amount of the cough medicine without even realizing it because you cooked it. If you are doing this and you die, I have zero sympathy for you. What is wrong with people, man? People, we have grown into a world of dumbasses. I'm not, I don't disagree. I mean, the Tide Pod thing that people were doing, all these challenges, and then there's, oh, people are dying. Like, no shit. You, so you're telling me if you cover something in NyQuil and cook it, you might die. And now we're, I mean, somebody out there, somebody's going to lose a child or a sibling or something because they did this. That person's going to be sad. I'm not going to be. I'm going to be, look, man, this, this is like, to me, if you do hard drugs like heroin or meth or something, 
At some point, yeah. it's going to kill you. It's going to kill yeah. you at some point. Yes, sir. So to me, it's like, oh, it's so sad. I'm like, no, it's sad that he had these problems or whatever, and nobody ever helped him when you couldn't find a way to help. It's not because the end result, I mean, it's like if you drive without your seatbelt and smash into a wall, eventually it'll kill you if you keep driving like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, some things, some things should be common sense, but as grandma used to say, common sense ain't common. I know, man. That's like, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the late 90s in the DFW area, in Plano in particular, there was a outbreak of black tar heroin overdoses in high school kids. Absolutely. I remembered it. And I remember that because it was my freshman year going to Collin County Community College. And I just thought like it never crossed my mind to do heroin. And like I had been around some harder drugs in my life and I never did any of them because how do you know that you're not that person that the first time you do it, it your body's like, whoa, you're not made for this. And that's it. I'm like you, bro. That's why I've never really even been a drug dude. Uh, now, you know, lots, lots of folks smoke weed. Well, okay. that's different. That's what I'm saying. Lots of folks do that. Um, I wasn't even really down with that. Um, but I certainly wasn't down with anything harder than that for the, for that exact reason, man. I never, I just never wanted to know if I was going to be the Lynn Bias, you know, former NBA was the second pick overall by the Celtics in 1986. I was just 19 then, um, who, uh, got drafted second overall, went out and, uh, on a cocaine binge yeah. and he got drafted. He's dead the next day. And he's a lot better shape than I was, bro, at, at that age. And then I was also like. I never wanted to be an addict like uh, and, and it, I've had it in my family. And I think I've told this story before where I had an uncle who was a recreational drug user. Um, crack, I think, Coke, something like that. Anyway, he's recreational. He's good. I just get party. I just party on the weekends. All of a sudden he introduced it to his girlfriend, bro. She just didn't party on the weekends, man. Mm. She was selling his TV like two weeks later. God. And, you know, he didn't mean to do that to her, but he was like, oh, it's, it's fine for me. You do it. And it wasn't fine for her, bro. And she, dude, she was in and out of jail for a decade. Yeah, you just never know. And, and, and that's yeah. like with stuff like that. Why, why would you want to risk it and find out? Right. Like, yeah. I remember when I was in high school, acid got real big again. And I don't know why. The kid who, and I, I don't want to say his name because he's still, I know who he is. I saw him like a few years ago around Rockwall. He sold acid out of his backpack in English class and went like he had a sheet of acid in his backpack. Yep. And he used to be like, hey, Matt, you want one? I was like, no, dude, I'm good. And he was like, no, 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 it'll be great. You'll enjoy it. And I had heard like people had talked about that there was a possibility that you could have an acid flashback years later in your life. <laughs> and I was like, why? Like, uh, OK, so maybe it's it's fun or you get a psychedelic trip like right now. I don't want to find out in 20 years if that's true or not when I'm driving down the freeway trying to go to work or whatever. Bro, I mean, it's just it's just wild, man. So I've always been a little timid when it comes to that. Uh, as for my for my uncle's girlfriend, luckily, she eventually got off of it and she's as productive as she can be now. But man, think about all the years wasted. Uh, yeah. At the time, at the time uh, and this is true, man, at the time. She was a hairstylist who was very successful and was doing, you know, she, she was one of those go-to hairstylists. Yeah. Well, she lost all of that. I'm sure. You know? I mean, she, you know, so she spent the last probably 10 years trying to rebuild it, but you can never get back what you had. 
Yeah, man, I just, there's certain things that I just, even when I was younger, I mean, now obviously I'm, there's zero chance I'm doing any of that. But even when I was younger, and I don't know why, I was, for whatever reason, a very difficult person to peer pressure. Like when people would try to pressure me into something, it made me like not want to do it even more just to irritate them and get under their skin. Uh, well, see, I think, um, now how much did your parents have to do with it? Uh, probably quite a bit. I mean, but I don't think that they, you know, they were kind of more of the open parent in the sense of if you feel like you need to drink, you know, let us know and you can do it at our house. Like that type of mentality of they recognize that kids will do certain things, right. but they wanted to be a part of it. And there was always like I never felt embarrassed, I guess would be the word to discuss certain things with my parents or tell them certain things. And Quite honestly, I just didn't hang out with that crowd. I didn't hang out with people that did a lot of that. In high school, I knew a lot of people that that did. Obviously, acid was, I mean, I don't know why it got popular in the mid-90s like it did, but it did. And I, I knew a lot of people who tried it and did stuff like that. I know in college, a lot of people that did cocaine and things of that nature. As I mentioned, for whatever reason, early in college, the, the black tar heroin thing that got real popular. And I just never... I don't know, man. Like, I didn't drink. I drank twice in my life before I turned 21. And only once was that to the point that I was intoxicated. The other time was, like, trying a drink. And then there was one point when I was a senior in high school, I think, that I actually ended up did drinking a little too much. And that was just, you know, trying. I had already turned 18. I was about to go to college and that whole thing. And I don't know. I just, I wasn't around a lot of stuff like that. And even when I was, it just didn't have an appeal to me. Uh, well, I, I made it a concerted effort the best I could to uh, to make my kids, um, you know, I don't want to say impervious, but to make it really difficult for them to be followers. And yeah. like one of the stories I always tell when I'm talking about this subject with my friends is like, you know, my, my dude was probably about 10. We're at the mall. And he says, hey, I like that shirt. Hey, can we, can, we, can we get that shirt? Now, this is me. Why you like that shirt? Oh, it's a cool shirt. Nah, bro. You cool, and the shirt is just something that you being cool wear. Yeah. The shirt ain't going to make you cool. I said, so nah, we ain't getting it. And um, that's the way I rolled because I was trying to build up his self-esteem and make him feel good about himself. Like, nah, dog, you are the thing, so you don't need to follow nobody to be popular or feel like people like you and all this other stuff. Now, I do remember he was about 15, so this happened to me about 10. About 15... Could have been 14. Eighth grade, he rolls through. I don't get my ears pierced. What's up with that, man? Why do you want your ears pierced? Because I'm cool. And I think a cool kid like me ought to have his ears pierced. And I was like, oh. Dad, you said, as long as I thought I was cool, I can have stuff. That's <laughs> true. Bro, and I, all I could look at him was start laughing. I said, you little asshole. Yeah. Okay. If your grades are whatever I said they were, at the end of the six weeks, we can go get, yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to just give in like that. I was, but he made whatever grades I said he had to make, so he went and got his ears pierced. But it was all about, it's about you, man. It ain't about this peer pressure and all this other stuff because that shit will eventually lead you down a road you don't want to go. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think my parents were really good whenever I would find myself around certain people that probably would have maybe been more so of that nature, that it would be like, nah, you're not hanging out with that person again and what have you, or you don't need to be around this group and, and things like that. 
probably at an early age in my life where I did kind of run and, and do some stupid things like in fifth and sixth grade to where by the time I got to where you could do really stupid stuff that would kill you, it just, I knew <laughs> the, the right types of people to choose, I guess. Because like when you're, doing, when you're doing bad stuff in sixth grade, I mean, you're just doing stupid, silly crap. That you you know for the at least in my time period of my life like I wasn't hanging out with kids who were doing you know heroin in sixth grade. We weren't going to part. There weren't sixth grade parties at somebody's house like there are in high school and stuff. So you know you kind of got a vibe of okay these are these are people I don't need to be around in a sense. But uh, again, public service announcement for those that don't know: don't eat your chicken covered in Nyquil. That don't even sound good, bro. It could kill you. So. There's that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. NyQuil ain't even something that tastes good. I agree. It's an effective medicine, in my opinion. But it's not like it's, oh, yeah, yummy. Let me me drink some. No, it ain't even like that, bro. Yeah. And look, I mean, anything can get you in excess. Like this this next thing, like Oktoberfest, which is a style of beer, but it's also Oktoberfest celebrations. They're happening now. I think Addison had their Oktoberfest this past week, and I know McKinney has one coming up. There's several of them around the DFW area this weekend. And Oktoberfest can be a lot of fun. I, I, we used to go to Three Nations Brewing every year, and they do the Stein hoisting competition and all that. And, you know, it's a fascinating history about that style of beer because Oktoberfest originally was celebrated about 200 years ago when a Bavarian crown prince got married, and they had a celebration, and that became the Oktoberfest celebration every year. But the style of beer that they drink is what's known as a Marzen, which is German for spring. And those beers were originally brewed in March, or it's German for March, not spring. They were brewed in March because back at that time in Bavaria in the 1500s, some Bavarian king was like, okay, for whatever reason, you can't brew beer from this date in April until this date in September. And so all these brewers would brew these Marzins and hold them over the course of the summer. And then you would drink them late in the fall as the fall was coming around and eventually it timed out at the same time as the Oktoberfest celebration. So now you have all these Oktoberfest celebrations where people are drinking Marzins. So there you go. In case you were wondering. I was going to say, I don't, even, I don't even know what to do with that. I, I was sitting here listening. I'm like, I, I, I don't really know what to do with that. So I'll just yep. enjoy it as a great story and uh you know yeah it's kind of one of those things you know but it's funny because you see a lot of these and people like oh have you had an oktoberfest beer and like yeah well yes but technically the beer is a mars and is the style of beer that you're referring to and then the celebration is the oktoberfest but a a lot of people will name breweries especially name that beer oktoberfest so people don't realize kind of the difference and how the whole history of that thing ties in which is kind of a cool history fascinating yeah there you go Now you know more about beer, so yay for everyone. But be careful when you're drinking it. So the other thing I wanted to get into before we jump into Todd Archer here momentarily, and I hate to say this, and... Do you really? I Actually, I do hate to say this. Okay. Because it pains me, because I feel like it could have been different for our franchise. I think that the Philadelphia Eagles look like they're going to be a serious problem, not just in the NFC East, but in the NFC and if I recall, I think you had them in the NFC Championship game. Super Bowl. That's right. You did. It was You had Buffalo and Philadelphia. And after last right. night, if Jalen Hurts has actually improved and is going to play like this, that team's a problem. No, nah, man. They, um, 
they went out and got him some playmakers so that he didn't have to do all the heavy lifting, and that's made them a better team. And we saw the moves that they made in the offseason. Um, some of them were draft picks, which made sense. Uh, some of them were free agent additions or trades that made sense. The A.J. Brown thing made sense because now all of a sudden uh, Devontae Smith doesn't have to carry everything. I mean, it just um, – they. this is how I describe it, man, to me. The Cowboys made a bunch of moves in the offseason, and there's no guarantee that your moves work, okay? There's no guarantee that any of the moves any team ever makes work. But the Cowboys made a bunch of moves in the offseason with a 12-5 and team that just had you shaking your head going, what are y'all doing? The Eagles made a bunch of moves in the offseason that had you going, oh, shit, they putting something together. And I think you're seeing that early. Like, this is the scary part to me if you're the Cowboys. Yesterday, Smith, seven catches, 80 yards. Tight end Dallas Goddard, five for 82. A.J. Brown, five for 69. And then I think this is Quentin Watkins, two for 69. He had a big catch. But look at it, look how they're spreading it out over the top, man, with the two receivers and a tight end. They can go wherever they want to go with the ball. That's not the case in the Big D, brother. And then you got Sanders, the running back, goes 17 for 80. Yep. And then Jalen Hurts with 11 for 57. That's a lot of people getting quality touches with the football. Um, they're going to be a problem, my brother. Yes, they are. And you, you have to give the Eagles, and I hate, I really do hate doing it. I hate the Eagles. I don't want them to be successful. But I'm not going to lie, I'm jealous of that franchise. Because they are doing some things. And, and keep in mind, some of this started – if you go all the way back to, man, when was that? I think it was the 2020, maybe, the NFL draft. I'm trying to remember. Maybe it was before that. Or no, it was it, it was 2022 when they did this, right? It was this last draft. The Eagles had three first-round picks. They had their own first-round pick. They got one from the Colts in the Carson Wentz trade. And then, if you'll recall, that they also figured out when they traded with the Dolphins, they were willing to move from the sixth overall pick to the 12th overall pick, which allowed the Dolphins to move up and select. It was 2021 when they got that pick from the Dolphins because the Dolphins got right. Jalen Waddle, and then the Eagles moved down and picked up an extra first-round pick. So they went into the draft last year with three first-round picks. Well, what happened? They ended up moving around again, and they used them very, very smartly, obviously, they ended up being able to move around and select Jordan Davis in the first round. Well, people don't realize this. They also made another trade, and they now have two first-round picks in the next draft coming around in 2023 because they sent – so they sent one of their first-rounders when they had three to the Titans for A.J. Brown. They used one of their own for the Jordan Davis pick. Well, they made a trade with the Saints, so now they've got two first-round picks in next year's draft so that they can add two more first-rounders or move around the draft and do what they want to continue adding young pieces around what apparently is a very nice young core in Philadelphia. And here's the cherry on top, brother. Here's the cherry on top. They're doing this all the time while the quarterback makes a million bucks. And there it is. <laughs> No, and I, I mean, Jalen Hurts, he, I mean, he's my fantasy quarterback. He was dominant last night, and they are rolling. And you just went through all the pieces, and when you think some of the things that they've been able to do and being creative, 
not being afraid to move around and still pick up pieces for the future that they knew that they would be able to use because they didn't look at us, oh, we're this guy away or we're this guy away. All right, you want to give us a first to move down six spots? Sounds good. Want to give us a first next year and we'll just swap picks this year? That'll work. We can still get our guy. I mean, they've been very creative and you look at this franchise and I was looking at that today and I thought, so this is a team that we both thought was going to win the East to begin with. You think is going to be in the Super Bowl. They've got a really good young core. Oh, and now they have two first-round picks in the next draft coming up. That's what gets you excited about your team, man, as opposed to talking about, hey, Dennis Houston, an undrafted free yeah. agent from Western Illinois. Why is he playing 41 snaps and starting? And so here's, here's the other thing, man, is you talk about the Cowboys. So they cut him. And they'll bring Jalen Tolbert back and be like, oh, Jalen Tolbert's back in the line. He's in, Dude, he's, here's the guy you told us wasn't good enough to beat out Dennis Houston. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, now you're going to try to pump him up. Oh, here's our third-round pick. He's ready to go. Da, 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 da. That's the same dude you told us many times, especially those who are able to watch practices and stuff. Oh, no, Dennis Houston doing that thing, man. He's a lot better than Jalen Tolbert. That was a whole thing coming out of a uh, training camp. Oh, no, Dennis Houston's been impressive. Told yep. me, uh, it looks a little lost. So now he finished show up and he's going to be the truth? Come on, man, stop it. Yeah, man, I mean, it, it's, it's just one of those things where, and, and I hope I'm wrong. God, do I hope I am wrong. But with where the Cowboys are at with some of their fading older guys that were a part of this before, and granted, Mike is here, Diggs is here, Lamb, I'm assuming Dak is going to hang around for the next few years. Maybe they hit on Tyler Smith. But the Eagles look like they are poised to be very relevant for a couple of years just based on what they have with the capital that they have to make some moves in the draft if they so choose. Now, look, they're going to have to because Jalen Hurts is in his third year already. And he was not a first-round pick, so they only got one more year of him. And if they decide he's the guy, they're going to have to pay him and figure that whole thing out. But they've done some smart things, and, and they remind me of what we thought the Cowboys were a couple of years ago, quite honestly. When you had Dak, you had, my God, you've got Amari Cooper on this side. Oh, you've got, you, you've got C.D. Lamb right there. You've got a Michael Gallup. I mean, some of these young pieces, and my, how quickly does that thing change? Yes, sir. Because you didn't win. You didn't win when you had your windows, and you had a couple of years there where you could have done something, and you did nothing with it. We'll see. I'll tell you something you can do, though, and, and this is what the Cowboys... The Cowboys need to call HFX Foundation Solutions because <laughs> it feels like they got some cracks and, and maybe some sticking doors and some things that aren't working out for them. They need to get on the phone with Aaron and his crew. It's a free, no-obligation inspection. They'll come on out. takes like 45 minutes. And it could potentially save you thousands of dollars in damages down the road because foundation in Texas is something you don't want to screw with, man. No, man. I mean, the foundation, the, the, the soil here is so rocky, so ratchet, so shady. Not literally, but you know what I mean? It's bad. And so your house, I mean, the one thing you hear about Texas is foundation problem. Nobody wants them. Then we had all that water, man, this dry soil. You just never know if your house is shifted. What you do is you pick up the phone, you give Aaron a call at 817-770-0174. You say, hey, bro, can you come and get my house kind of like a colonoscopy, you know? And what that means is they check everything, everything around the foundation, everything to make sure that your house is good, in good condition, give you that peace of mind. 
that allows you to go on without worrying about it, man. Because if you got foundation problems, you got big problems. Man, that's one thing you guys, I mean, he would know immediately who was calling him. If you, if you just called 817-770-0174 and he's like, yes, I need a home colonoscopy. Aaron would be like, you must be calling because you heard about us on Jam Session. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You guys can do that. I think he would highly enjoy that. Get your home a colonoscopy. It's HFX Foundation Solutions online with hfxfoundation.com. All right, time once again to check in with our ESPN Cowboys insider, Todd Archer, joining us here. And Todd, I think, you know, we talked last week and Jacques and I were pretty surprised, thought the Bengals might roll over the Cowboys. What do we take away from what we saw on Sunday a week after the debacle against Tampa Bay? That's a good one. The defense is really good, but I think we were starting to really believe that going into the season. Um, They've allowed two touchdowns in two games. I don't think that's a streak that you'll expect them to just allow a touchdown a game the whole season, but um, you're seeing how they can carry the day and and attack uh, and and make some plays and ultimately be the reason why they win. as long as the offense gets off to starts the way that they did, right? Two touchdowns in the opening, mm-hmm. two drives. If they can be that effective, then that obviously we've talked about this for years. That helps the defense play because you're eliminating one side of the ball. You can kind of dictate tempo, all those sort of things. So that's the true complementary nature of what McCarthy's getting at. And they really have to play that way while Dak is out and Cooper Rush is their quarterback. So, I, I think they found their formula a little bit. Now, some of it's going to depend on who they're playing and things like that and where they're playing. But, um, you know, I think they think they, they, they know they can win games with Cooper Rush at their quarterback, provided they follow this formula. They're not going to be able to check it all over the place 40 times and win that way. Well, let's stay on the defense because, um, I mean, they, were, they played a heck of a game. What do you say about Micah Parsons – two games in a year too. I don't know. What, what I mean, what, what can you say about the guy? It, I, I keep going back. Every time he does something, I keep going back to the day he was drafted and thinking, you know, if Patrick Sertan or D.C. Horn are available, the Cowboys weren't taking Micah Parsons. They weren't. They were taking a cornerback that year. They were not going to take this guy. And sometimes the best decisions you make are the ones made by other teams that make you go this way. They didn't even trade it down, right? Didn't they trade down? <laughs> Uh, the Eagles traded up for a receiver over the Giants, right? For Devontae yeah. Smith. Like, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, just how fortunate. Every time he makes a play, I think I'm probably just like, I'm pretty lucky. You know, I, I guess there is some skill involved there. I can't really put it all on luck. But, you know, in some ways, it's, it's Zach Martin instead of Johnny Menzel. Uh, maybe not that extreme. But, yeah, the, the guy's just, Make him a full-time defensive end, right? I mean, what, what are we doing here? You have Anthony Barr. You got Vander Esch. You got two pretty good linebackers right there. Just let him rush. Now, I know he can do different things, but he's so good at that. Well, that impacts the game more, doesn't it? I don't think they'll ever listen to that. No, nah, but defensive ends get paid a lot more than linebackers in general. Oh, he's going to get paid regardless of whatever position he gets, right? I mean, he's got to be the highest, highest paid guy defensive player in the game when it after a third year right yeah I mean, you would think so <laughs> i mean i mean the way it's trending <laughs> but is it, yeah i mean he's and he didn't play 
football his last year at Penn State. That's another thing. Like, it's not like this guy has played a bunch of football in his life either. So it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable what he's been able to do. What else stands out from you from the defense other than Micah? Because, again, like you talked about, I mean, we even saw it a little bit against Tampa Bay. I mean, it was a bend-not-break mentality until Tampa finally pushed it through. But Cowboys defense, I mean, they, they've got playmakers, it feels like, at, at all three levels of the field finally. Yeah, I, I'll take it a different direction on that. I, last year we talked a lot about how Dan Quinn has changed his M.O. and gotten away from the Seattle single-high look. And, you know, he's kind of evolved over the years. I think he's evolved again this year because you look at what he's done with his fronts, especially last week against Cincinnati. Like there were times there was one guy with his hand on the ground coming after the quarterback. Like they're moving guys around. They're confusing. They're overwhelming offensive lines. They're they're doing a lot of things here. And I I think you need to give Dan uh, Quinn credit for, again, continually continuing to evolve to stay ahead of the curve of what other offenses might think the Cowboys are going to do. They played a lot at Tampa 2 uh, against the, the Bengals as well. I mean, they've kind of mixed and rolled coverages and, and done, a, done a really good job. I, I think that's, that's a good sign besides the individual player, whoever you want to pick, just the schematic changes that Dan Quinn seems to be staying ahead of the game and not just getting caught of this is what we do and we're going to do it well and we're going to play blah, 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 fast and all that kind of they've heard under the you know Marinelli and Chris Richard and all that under Jason Garrett this is a, an evolving defense that maybe week to week can bring different game plans to the to the table like Belichick has done for years up in New England um, one last thing about defense I wrote a column about today I thought Trayvon Diggs played a terrific game to my untrained eye uh, didn't have anything to do with interceptions and it wasn't just the tackles at the uh, at the end of the game which were impressive I thought he played tight coverage, and when he gave up receptions, dude, like his hands were like in there. They just happened to make contested catches on great throws and great catches. Um, if he could play like that all year, I'll take that, even if he's only got three or four picks. What about you? Right, that goes to what we've always said about it. Like, do you want the picks, or do you want the guy to give up, not give up anything? Do you want Byron Jones? Do you want Trayvon Diggs? Well, the the marriage is you want both. So. If he is trending in that direction, that's obviously a really good thing. Again, I talked about Micah not playing a lot of football. This is a guy who's not played a lot of cornerback in his life either, still getting to know the position. And, and not know the position, but perfect the position, maybe. Like, just learn the do's and don'ts more. Um, but there's still times, like that 19-play that drive, there were three times, I think, on that drive that went right at him. I don't think anybody – he's not shutting down one half of the field. It's not like teams are coming in and say, we can't go to that side. Let's go over there. I, I still think you're going to see teams come after him. But I, I'm with you. He did, you know, Chase had, what was it, five for 54 in the game. So I, I think huh. that's right. And they weren't all on him. So, um, and when he came into the game, you're, everybody's probably thinking, man, how are they going to defend Chase? And, oh, Chase had a big game against him at LSU and blah, 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 all that stuff. So, yeah, give him credit. Um, I'm sure he wants a pick. I'm sure he'll take a pick here sometime soon as opposed to maybe grading out well in the coverage coverage stand. When you look at the offense, and, and it, it got to a point, you mentioned it early on, that it seemed like it was working. And I asked Jacques this the other night, but how much of that do you think is, okay, we, we kind of have our, our play calls, we've got our script, so to speak, that we go through, and once we run through that, after those first couple of drives, I mean, the offense really struggled to do anything the rest of the game. Do you look at that as a Kellen Moore thing of, of – how they need to adjust as the game is going to go on to 
Cincinnati start doing something different that you saw that took away what the Cowboys had done successfully the first couple of drives? What happened? Right. I don't know. You can't say one game makes a trend, right, and say, Mm -hmm. well, clearly the script was good and they couldn't adjust. I do think you have to give the Bengals some credit uh, in, into how they defended things and changed things up. Th- think of the, the long play that Pollard had down uh, to the goal line and maybe almost scored or whatever. They ran that play three more times, and at least one of them was stuffed for a loss. One of them didn't go very far, and the other one was a pretty decent gain. So, you know, the, maybe they went to the well too many times in that situation on, on that kind of talk play even though it was a forward talk and became a pass so yeah that but this when you're playing your backup quarterback jerry can say we can run our offense we can do everything we can do eh, can you like i mean it's still your backup quarterback you, you can probably call the same plays but the impact of the plays is going to be different when it's cooper rush versus dak prescott so i think there's a feeling out process that's going to have to take place as rush plays more games that how the Cowboys can stay ahead of the adjustment. I talked about Dan Quinn already adjusting to the adjustments. Yeah, I think there's an element of Kellen Moore is going to have to do that as well. Um, and the big thing is, look, it's third down. I mean, that, that, the more third downs you make, the more points you're going to score, and that helps everything. And, you know, those first two drives, heck, the first drive was a fourth down conversion. I don't know what, what you all thought, but when they went for it, I was like, ooh, that's pretty tricky. <laughs> and then when they this is a gutsy call and then when they ran that play I'm like really you're on an 18 yard dig on fourth and two that's where the ball is supposed to go like that even seemed even gutsier I'm like Ooh, I don't know if that's you know that, that was the play they dialed up to, to get them a first down on fourth and two but hey it worked and it builds confidence and you, you end that drive with a touchdown you end your second drive with a touchdown well, this is going to be an interesting week to me against the Giants don't ask me what any of their stats are or what they've done in the first two games because I've not really paid attention to it yet. I just know Wink Martindale is a guy who brings a lot of pressure, disguises a lot of looks, does a lot of different things. This will be a challenge this week for the Cowboys and, and how they're going to move the ball against the Giants, even if their personnel isn't what that guy had in Baltimore. It's still done pretty good here the first couple of games. I was going to say, so what uh, What do you make of Cooper Rush after uh, after two starts or, you know, this start, his latest uh, appearance? Solid, right? I think he's, play, you know, he's played better than I think. For all of us that have seen him since he got here, I think when he's gotten in, into the game, he's played better than we thought he would play. Now it doesn't look too big for him. Right, yeah. He, he understands it. He, you know, there, there are probably a couple passes that could have or should have been intercepted against Cincinnati. I'm sure if we went back to the Minnesota game, the same deal. But guess what? Every quarterback has those in the game. We, we seem to forget that when it's the starting quarterback of, uh, on whatever team that, that will make some strange decisions and have the bounces go their way. But, yeah, he's been better than I think you could expect. But I'll also say they've scored 20 points in both of the starts. So as good as he's been, they've really not they, – they've relied more on their defense to win these games, which is fine, which is good. Again, if you're backup quarterback 2-0 – no one's going to complain, but how, where is that feeling for him? I, you know, I, I don't know if we're talking about a guy that let's say he plays three more games and they win. They, they go three and one with him as a starter. Mm. Is someone going to try and sign him next year thinking he can be their number one quarterback? No, I don't. Yeah. So he's doing a good job for a backup quarterback. Exactly what you want. And really not, you know, Dalton wasn't over. He was under 500. 
2020. I'm trying to remember the last. Matt Castle went one and six in 2015. Kitten, uh, Kitten had a winning. Did Kitten have a winning record in 2010 when Garrett yeah, took over? I think so. They went over. five and three right down the there. stretch. So yeah, yeah. I think but so. McGee won one of those games though in Philly. Remember? But a blast in the past, right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, was like, I ain't gonna lie to you. No, I don't remember. Long time ago. Yeah, he threw a late touchdown pass. I think Miles Austin, and mm. then they won the game. Um, but yeah, he's been he's been good. He's been what you want. He's been. Mike McCarthy had this happen to him in 2013 when Matt Flynn had to come in and rescue their season when Rodgers was out to keep them in the playoff chase. Now, one of the Matt Flynn's wins was a 300-yard effort against the Cowboys at AT&T Stadium when they won like 37-36, 36-35, something like that. I don't know if the Cowboys can't win a game like that, maybe not because of rush, but just because how they're constructed on offense. Yeah, and made Matt Flynn a lot of money too. In that was actually after he made. That was after he made his money in Seattle when he got cut. That was that was. Uh, he made a lot of money before. Got cut in Seattle. Was bounced around a couple, and then they brought him back in Green Bay. Man, I don't remember him being back. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. typical Matt Flynn. There you go. Do you think, was it interesting, Jacques and I, we were talking about this after the game too, where it felt like Kellen Moore was doing things specifically designed to try and help early on get Cooper Rush confident in a rhythm with some easy throws. They rolled him out a little bit, and it just felt like the play designs that they were going for were more of a design of, hey, let's get you in a rhythm versus what we saw in week one with Dak, and I kind of wondered why they don't do some of that more so with Dak at times. Well, I think they do. I mean, if you look at Dak, bootlegs and, and waggle game they do that a ton and they probably didn't do it against Tampa um and why I, I I don't know but you know Dak is a guy that they do get on the run and move around and, and you know we can think of all the time where they're running the three guys at three different levels when he's rolling to his right and he just picks the guy usually it's Schultz sometimes it's CD um and then he rarely goes to the deepest guy but yeah I mean that's what good coaches do right you, you kind of Get your quarterback in the flow, especially a guy who's not played played a bunch. Give him some easy throws and and help his confidence. And it might not even be the Cooper Rush's confidence. It might be the guys on the field with Cooper Rush that get confidence. Say, okay, this guy can do something. We're going to be okay here. Um, you know that that. Whereas in I'll, I'll go back to the 2015 season where. The Cowboys coach is so petrified, Brandon Whedon, and his first couple of starts that he would just check down Charlie and would never yeah. throw the pass down the field. I've, people want to rip Brandon Whedon that year. I put him more on the coaches of just telling him, don't screw it up, don't screw it up, don't screw it up. And then he couldn't do anything. So then they bring in Matt Castle and they went one and six. So, um, yeah, they're, that, that game plan against Cincinnati, especially early, the script was a good one. Now they're going to have to evolve off the script a little bit to see if they can carry this through because you can't expect your defense to allow a touchdown game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe it, you can. I don't know. Nah, <laughs> now you can't. Now you can't. Uh, I was pretty critical well, well, of – this uh, week you might be able to. Yeah, yeah this, this could be one of those games. Going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, see, I think they're the same type of offenses and what they're trying to do with Daniel Jones and Cooper Rush, and so I expect it to be a tight fit in a close game um, that's kind of decided in the fourth quarter by who doesn't screw it up. Um, I was pretty critical of CeeDee Lamb in his first game, two catches, 11 targets, 29 yards, no impact. Uh, he was a lot better the other day. Uh, how do you see his evolution into that classic number one receiver that we keep talking about? 
Yeah, that's what you want to see. And the one thing that I liked was in the first half where he caught the pass, kind of got hit, bent a little awkwardly, and he waved off the guys. Like, he, you know, I'm good. I'm staying out there. That's what you want to see, right? I mean, you think of guys that have worn that jersey, guys that have been the number one receivers. They've played through some stuff. And I think that was good to see him play through some stuff. Had the big catch there uh, on the last drive that got them their last completion. Um, made some pretty big plays. I still think there are ways that they can get him involved more to get the ball in, it, in his hands. Um, you know, we've seen him do jet sweeps. We've seen him line up in the backfield. You know, I think there are plenty. Of, you want to get the guy the ball as much as you can. Um, and I, I think, you know, we'll continue to see that. But it was good to see him respond because we can say he's their number one receiver, but that doesn't mean he is the number one receiver. And I, I thought there were elements of that game, and Jerry talked about it afterwards, where, where he was a number one receiver and how he played and dealt with things and, and was able to manage uh, his game. What did you make of Zeke and the Cowboys' run game? It, it seemed like they were obviously trying to do some things with Tony Pollard a little bit more. And it feels like Zeke has been effective, but only to a certain degree in how they want to use him, it appears. Yeah, I'm the wrong person to ask this question because I'm going to be dying on the on the Zeke ledge here. Um, I think he should get the ball more. I mean, I guess I'm just and and maybe not at the expense just of of Pollard because you know we've seen the big playability with him. But I don't have the numbers in front of me. But I want to say I know he had eight of his ten carries against Tampa went for five yards or more. I want to say he had like two negative runs against. Uh, Cincinnati, and one of them was when Tyler Smith missed his guy and Biotis couldn't get over fast enough. Zeke's plus five yards or more carries through the first two games, to me, are a good sign. And, and his impact on the offense and how he affects the defense and wearing things down, that's how they got to play. Like, that, that's why – and Jerry said it on the radio today on the flagship saying he wants to get both of those guys 20% more. I don't know where you maybe if Schultz is out, that's where you're getting that twenty percent. But um, I I think Zeke has looked good, and I think Zeke is still a can be a high end running back in the NFL. And when he ends up with six hundred and twenty two yards this year, you guys can put that out on the uh, freezing cold takes, and I'll look like an idiot. But I'm still going to say Zeke Zeke is a is a bona fide number one running back. I, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I've been a little surprised that they haven't been going to him more because of what you just talked about. I mean, to me, when he's been in there, he's been effective and he gets those tough yards. I, I don't know why they're not going to him more. It, it, it seems strange for whatever reason. I think they spent, yeah, they spent the whole offseason every, hearing everybody, you got to get Paul involved. You got to get Paul involved. You got you to do this. And they're saying, well, all right, yeah, we, yeah, we do. And, you know, I think everything will adjust to the mean and, and things will get back to normal, maybe even. Uh, this week against the Giants, and he'll be fine. But to me, Tony Pollard is a good a good running back. I think he's a complimentary running back. I don't think he's a guy that you lean on. You know, you're going to get the big plays from him, but the down-in, down-out stuff, I think Zeke is just better than he is. I could be wrong. Uh, nah, not you. You mentioned Tyler Smith. I thought he played solid the other day to my untrained eye. What would you think? Yeah, same thing. The first two games, he's been fine. We've seen left tackles not named Tyron Smith play worse um we may have seen Tyron Smith play worse in a couple of games too so uh, yeah I think he's for a guy again a guy who didn't take any snaps there in the summer or in the preseason 
come in through the first two games and do as, as well as he's done. We see the strength. You know, you can see him move people. You, you know, I'm curious to see when he goes against, what's the right, twitchier defensive end, uh, uh, yeah. a Micah Parsons type on, you know, pick a defense that they got coming up. Like, and honestly, I'm I, looking at the schedule. I don't know if they play one of those types of guys off the top of my head, but I'm curious to see how he handles that. But I think he's been fine. Um, I think he's done a, a more than respectable job in his first few games considering what he didn't the, the work he didn't get there in the summer. Um, now, I'm also curious to see Jason Peters ramping up. He's not I doubt he's available this week. But they put Jason Peters at left tackle, move Tyler Smith in the left guard while McGovern's out. You know, do they start thinking about McGovern at the center if Seattle struggles? Do they put Jason Peters at right tackle? There's a lot of different things that they can do uh, coming up based on health of guys and, and improved conditioning, I guess, for Jason Peters after not being around all summer that lends to some optimism on the offensive line that you probably didn't have – well, you definitely didn't have after uh, Tyron went down in the preseason. Talking about some of the health on the team, what, what's the latest that you know? It sounds like Michael Gallup – I don't know if they want him to get a full week of practice. I don't know if they actually expect that by the time Monday rolls around, but Jerry kind of alluded again with the Dak thing that we talked about last week, that they really think he's only going to have to miss a couple more games. Yeah. I'm not buying the Dak one. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, I can't imagine. Oh yeah. He can play against Washington on October 2nd. No, I no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And then look, if the Cowboys win this week, doesn't that, theoretically buy you time with Dak? Like, wouldn't you say, okay, let's just, we can hold off a little bit here. Um, you don't need to rush it. And they're going to say, we're not rushing it. The bone's going to be as healed as it can be because of the plate that's in there protected. And it's all about how the grip strength, all that stuff. I don't know. You, I wouldn't, that's still rushing. Maybe rushing is not the right word, but I would be extra patient with my $40 million quarterback with a hand injury. And oh, by the way, let's say he doesn't play against Washington. And oh, by the way, the next guy is Aaron Donald in his face. Does that, you really want to expose him to that in the first game? I don't know. Dalton, did you ask me about Dalton Schultz? No, just the update on these guys, like Schultz and Gallup and all these guys. Yeah, Yeah, Gallup. That was the other one. Sorry, my bad. I'm getting old. Uh, Gallup, (laughs) if not this week, if not this week, I think then next week against Washington, for sure he's back. Um, They keep saying how well he's doing in practice. Whenever he does play, You'll see him on a pitch count. There's no way they're going to say, okay, you're going to be out there for 55 snaps in, the, in your first game. Uh, they're going to work him in slowly. I, I, I think it's, you know, the fact that they didn't put him on IR lent it to the possibility he could play within the four weeks. But the biggest reason why they didn't put him on IR to start was so he could practice and get this time in. I mean, the, the case against playing this week against the Giants, well, he'll go from one padded practice to two padded practices. Is that really enough? Like, is that enough? I, I don't. Maybe it is. And he's a guy who played a bunch of bunch of football. But I, I, I wouldn't rule him out this week. I would. I would maybe put it at thirty three percent chance that he's playing this week. Um, Dalton Schultz with the knee uh, sprained PCL. I would say let's see him at the end of the week. That although I'm len- leaning towards him not playing and not being available this week, but being back. Uh, against Washington, that that'll be interesting to see how they w- work 
their tight ends, obviously, I think McEwen would come up off the practice squad, so they'd have three tight ends with Ferguson and Hendershot. Um, and uh, who, who, is, who else is hurt? Is that it? What about J. Ryan Curse? Uh, watching him last week on the cords with Britt Brown, he moved better Wednesday, Thursday than he did Wednesday, but it was still kind of a struggle. He couldn't really flex the, his, his right knee with that MCL, so I'm sure there was some swelling in there. I think that's a, at least a two-week, if not three or four. So, and again, look who, you know, Mukwamu did okay. Uh, Malik Hooker took over the green dot stuff for a, a portion of the game. They liked what he did, and Donovan Wilson was impactful. So, a little bit all along the lines of Dak, you know, if you're, do, if you're going okay, why, why push it and rush a guy back where it might be a lingering issue uh, for, for beyond – what it could be. So, yeah, that, that would be that would be my injury update as far as I know. So, uh, what are we predicting against the Giants since you guys were all doom and gloom last week? Oh, you guys, uh, right, of course. Yeah, you guys. Jock was like, Cowboys are going to win 27 to 10. I don't know. Yeah. Pull up the yeah, tape. I, I'm sure I was somewhere in that ballpark. Pull up the tape. I, I challenge you. Pull I, out I, the tape. I mean, I can pull up the tape if you want. Okay. So, yeah, no, let's not pull really. up the tape. That's a, that's a <laughs> I mean, we do record this, you know. So, uh, um, okay, since since Dak's rookie year when they lost both the games in 2016, they've only lost to the Giants once. Man. So now look, it's another different, a new coaching staff, and, you know, they're riding high a little bit with their wins here against Tennessee and, and Carolina. But, again, not like they're setting the world on fire. They've scored 21 and 19 points in their first two games. Um, the, the thing that they're doing is not giving games away and they're obviously their defense is, is playing pretty well. So it's going to be whatever type of game we saw against Cincinnati, I think it's going to be the same type of game uh, against the Giants. And, you know, why not? I'll pick them to win. All right. There you sure. go. Boy, he's I, and by the way, with, with our good, well, with, uh, on Jeff Hop, Jeff Hop, uh, our good buddy Jeff Hopson, Bengals.com, I actually picked the Cowboys to win 23 22. On a last-second field goal by Brett Maher, because McCarthy's first two wins in Week Two were on Greg Zerline field goals at the gun. So, you know, I, I, you, you weren't the only one that uh, that 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 picked this thing. So, but hey, hey. last year they, they had the emotional win against the Chargers. Came in and had uh, an NFC East game. Now was at home against Philly, and they racked them, but. Another NFC East game. Maybe this is, uh, you know, maybe they got a little something going. And look, you know, when the Giants signed Jalen Smith this week, I'm sure that'll get everybody's motors running over at the star. Wow. Oh, yeah, kidding. that's right. Uh, that's there he is, practice kidding. squad Jalen. We'll see. Just All right. Kidding. Appreciate it, Todd. Thanks for doing it. Yep. Sounds good. See you, yep. See you. All right, there he is, Todd Archer. As always, the the hot takes. The hot takes on the New York Giants. We didn't get a score from him. I, I bet he was going to say something like four to two. <laughs> You know, I once covered a high school game that ended it three to two. So maybe he's picking it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. This this has the feel of like an Iowa Big Ten game to me, where it's ten to seven, nine to six, something like that. You know, where nobody really yeah. does anything on offense. They just wait for a defensive stop or a mistake, and they're like, "Oh, sweet, a fumble on the twenty-eight. Now all we got to do is kick a field goal." There you go. Something like that. But we'll see how it turns out. So hopefully everybody enjoys that. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. 
Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.